to confess. I've already confessed to Deborah uh, because she posted a picture on Facebook. And then when I was kind of working on my message, I came to the title of the message. And I I had this message. And I'm not so sure it's inspired by the passage as much as it was from the picture I saw on Facebook. But we are in a pickle. And the question is, you know, how, how can we look like Jesus in these very contentious times? And I just, I just did. I mean, this is just my Saturday morning reading, my little news feeds. I just, I just read some things that it, it, they're just illustrations. We live in an era where the pen is truly mightier than the sword and words are weapons. We have the power to influence entire swaths of people and, when employed in the political realm, can inspire us to soar to greater heights or merely engender fear among Americans. In a country where trust has been in sharp decline, suspicions about what might be behind a shooting in a newsroom quickly became a dominant part of the story of the tragedy in Annapolis. On Twitter and other social media, shreds of good news were quickly overwhelmed by accusations and assumptions mostly unfounded about who was responsible and how the shootings fit into the story of a divided and angry nation. The truth that is staring each and every one of us in the face is that the -the over-the-top rhetoric is achieving its ignoble purpose. To further stoke anger and division among many on both the left and the right. So if I just wrote a summary statement about the pickle that we're in from those quotations that I read to you, we're living in a story of an angry and divided nation where trust in one another is in sharp decline, where accusations and assumptions, mostly unfounded, are tweeted instantaneously and over-the-top rhetoric has become our nightly news. So it brings us to, there, there is this intersection of church and culture. You, want, you can take a picture. You go back one. There was somebody trying to get a picture. It's fine. Do you want me in a picture? (laughs) By the end of this, I might not want to be in the picture. The the church is always, there's always been this intersection of church and culture, and it's always been difficult for the church to figure it out. I mean, we're not, it's not unique for our generation, but we're at one of those places where we're needing to figure it out. And so I just, just, because we're at that intersection, just remember Jesus, Jesus said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. I'm not taking you out of the world. So it's not like we can create a bubble and not be affected by what's happening in the general world around us. We, we're, we're in it, but we're not of it. And then I remember Paul. Paul has some really powerful words in Romans 12. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. So this is really a time to engage the brain. What in the world, the world, this is a world, this isn't just at home stuff. This is, there's a world thing happening. And we need to engage the brain. 
And unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. You, the church, those of you following Jesus. In the midst of this decline and immaturity, God's trying to bring the best out of us. In the midst of that, a mature response. And he develops well for maturity in you. So then it really it just comes down to this question. This is what I this is what I was pursuing. And in these contentious times, and I I I I just want to acknowledge the contentious. I don't I can't explain it. I just have to acknowledge it. And I'm not trying to solve it. My interest is how do we, those of us following Jesus, how do we mature in the midst of this so that we look like Jesus? Now, the reminder, so that you don't think, well, you, well, did you just pull that out of the news? No. Jesus. Jesus lived in a very contentious time. And especially in the final week. The Sanhedrin, and I have to, I just want to keep underscoring, they're not just religious leaders. They're also the civil leaders. So they're the government of Israel and the religion of Israel. And man, they are out to get Jesus. So don't think that the contentious times that we're living in is separate from the contentious times that he lived in. Remember Jesus, he did say, he said some stuff that makes you uncomfortable. You know, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did we sign up for that? Wait a minute. So in Mark's story, we've just been looking at these contentious times. The high priests and the religion scholars heard what was going on and plotted how they might get rid of Jesus. Another way of saying that, these religious and, and civil leaders wanted to kill Jesus. Now, if your faith leads you to the point that you want to kill others... Guess what? That's an indicator on the dashboard. Something is wrong. But they panicked. Because they were people pleasers to the max. Because the crowd was carried away by Jesus' teaching. See, they're in a pickle. How do we stay in leadership over this crowd that likes Jesus' teaching more than ours? And when they were back in Jerusalem once again, as they were walking through the temple, the high priests and the religion scholars and the leaders came up and demanded, Show us your credentials. Who authorized you to speak like this and to act like this? I mean, that was like, ooh, ugly. They wanted to lynch him then and there, but again, intimidated by public opinion, held back. They knew the story was about them, the story of the vineyard. So they got away from there as fast as they could to plot how to get rid of Jesus. So they sent some Pharisees and followers of Herod to bait Jesus, hoping to catch him saying something incriminating. Now, all of the high priests, the religion scholars, the leaders, the Pharisees, the followers of Herod, all of those are different groups that make up the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is a group of 70 or 72, and they are the center of civil and religious 
authority in Israel at the time of Jesus. And it is a very contentious time. So how did Jesus handle that contention? Now, we've read some of this and we've learned some of this, but I just want to bring you back into the story. Some Sadducees in Mark 12, 18, the party that denies any possibility of resurrection came up and asked, again, asking to bait him. They're not really asking for information. They're looking for dirt. Teacher, Moses wrote that if a man dies and leaves a wife but has no child, his brother is obligated to marry the widow and have children. Well, there was once seven brothers. The first took the wife. He died childless. The second married, and he died. Still no child. The same with the third. All seven took their turn, but no child. And finally, the wife died. When they were raised at the resurrection, whose wife is she? All seven were her husband. Now, if you read that, I mean, what stands out when you read that? What stands out? They're asking a question about marriage and remarriage and the ramifications of that when? In the afterlife. But what don't they believe? They don't even believe it. They don't even believe there's going to be... So why in the world are you even asking the question? I mean, it makes no sense. So, just a reminder, the Sanhedrin was composed of Sadducees, Pharisees, other leaders. The Sadducees were the upper social and economic echelon of Judean society. They were the ones that were the custodians of the temple. So when Jesus turned the tables over at the temple, they were the ones that were most upset. There are, some were priests. Some, some say that the Sadducees are, are coming from the line of the high priests. And so that that's a possibility. But notice... Outside of their religious duties, again, I just have to keep underscoring because we made, we've made the gospel such a religious story that we, we, we've missed that these are the civil authorities as well. Now, they had, everything they did had to be approved by Rome, but still Rome gave them the power to rule. So they administered the state domestically. They represented the state internationally. They participated in the Sanhedrin, which that brought them into Relationship with the Pharisees, who they despised. Uh, They collected taxes. Uh, These also came in from international tribute from Jews in the diaspora. They equipped and led the army. They regulated uh, relations with the Romans. They mediated domestic grievances. And bottom line, as they did, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They believed that the soul was it. You died, it's all over. So Jesus answers the Sadducees. In this contentious time. And he says, you're off base. You're way off base. That's a really key word there. The word really is, you've made a big mistake in your judgment. And it's connected with you've made that mistake in your judgment because you're deceived. And here's why. One, you don't know your Bibles. You don't know how God works. After the dead are raised, we're past the marriage business. As it is with angels now, all our ecstasies and intimacies will then be with God. And regarding the dead, 
whether or not they're raised. Don't you ever read the Bible? Again, Jesus is like, oh, of course we read the Bible. Well, you're missing something because how can God at the burning bush say to Moses, I am not was? I mean, very simple. I am not was. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The living God is God of the living and the dead. You're way, way off base. You've made the wrong judgment. You are caught in self-deception. Now, I'm emphasizing self-deception because I found this quote that just stuck with me uh, from Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia of the Bible. So in the reactionary conservatism, and that's probably a phrase, you, you should look that up. Again, you engage your brain. In the reactionary conservatism, the Sadducees attempted to capitalize on their self-made image of themselves. Self-made image of themselves. You know, when people start making self-made images of themselves, they, they, can either, they can either devalue themselves or they can elevate themselves. In this case, they elevated themselves. They made themselves more important than what they really were. Not that they weren't important as people, but the role. See, they made themselves as the protectors of the pure and the true religious traditions, which alone went back to Moses. So when Jesus says, you're deceiving yourselves, he's tapping into this. Your reactionary conservatism, you're, you're, you're wanting us to go back rather than forward. It's bringing, a, it's bringing a delusion into your life. And you don't, you don't recognize the scripture. And the reason they didn't is because they only considered the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that was their authority. And everything else, the writings and the prophets, were considered less than Moses. Now, when Jesus says you don't know the scripture... He uses a plural, grafes, instead of grafe. And the reason he uses grafes, plural, is because he's referring to you don't know the law and the writings and the prophets. He, he did that on purpose. You've just focused your interpretation on who you are and what you're up to and what God's up to on a portion of the Bible. Not all of it. Then he says, you do not recognize in the Mosaic books. See, even in the books that you read, you don't recognize the power of God in the resurrection. Because the burning bush is in what book? Exodus. Is, is Exodus in the first five books of the Bible? Yes, it's Torah. You guys, you, you, you have so deceived yourself. You've, you've, made the soul, you've made the wrong decision that you don't even see it. In the books that you say are authoritative, you don't even see that God says, I am, not I was, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So their self-made image and the, the theology around that deceived them. And then it, again, another layer comes in. A scribe. Again, a member of the Sanhedrin. One of the religion scholars came up hearing the lively exchange of question and answer and seeing how sharp Jesus was in his answers. 
He put in his own question. So, if it's not so important that we decide whose wife is what in, in the afterlife, and we, you know, we've kind of worked through give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God's, because he's been listening to all this. He says, what is, what is the most important commandment then? And we, we looked at that answer. The first in its importance is, listen, Shema Israel. The Lord your God is one. So love the Lord your God with all your passion, all your prayer, all your intelligence, all your energy. And in the same breath, in the same step, unseparable. Love others as well as you love yourself. There is no greater commandment that ranks beyond these. And then the scribe replied. He says a wonderful answer. He literally said, that's beautiful. Jesus, that's really a beautiful answer. So lucid, so accurate. That God is one, there is no other, and loving Him with all passion and intelligence and energy. And just a little side note, because it's kind of four. God, Jesus uses four categories, the scribe uses three. It's just like a scribe. It's just, I, I wondered what text, are they using the same texts here? It's just funny. Anyway, leaving it aside. And loving others as you love yourself. Well, notice that's better. Than offerings and sacrifices put together. Think about that. This, this is a Jewish scholar who recognizes that those that have been given the old covenant, if we would but love God with the totality of who we are from the inside and in the same breath love other human beings, that's even better than the whole sacrificial system. You ever wondered how a Jew could remain a Jew without having a sacrificial system? And then Jesus says... (laughs) Having realized how insightful he was, he said, you're almost there. Right on the border of God's kingdom. You're so close to entering God's kingdom. And after that, no one dared ask another question. So how did Jesus end the argument? How did Jesus engage in this contentious time? What did, what, was, what did he do? And I want to know what he did so that we can say, well, we can do that too. Well, the first thing he did is he loved God with the totality of his inner life. And in the same moment, the same time, inseparable, he loved his contentious neighbors. You know, if you just, again, the mega narrative of the Bible, what has God always wanted? A people who, say it louder, love Him. I just, I want the people that I've created to love me. Now, when they love me, what do they do? They follow. The obedience doesn't come before the love. I want people that love me. And not only that, I want people who love others. And what does Jesus teach us about the others? The others that are not like us. 
And Jesus did it. (laughs) He did it. I mean, why did Jesus spend time in the morning early? What was he doing? Loving God. Making sure that his core, the interior of all that he was, all of his thoughts, all of his emotion, all of his decisions, all of his strength was being poured into a love relationship with his Father in heaven. Because he knew that that day he was going to not only have to continue loving God, but there were going to be people in his day. And it takes time being loved and loving God to love people. And Jesus did it. He loved the 12. At time, they tried his patience, didn't they? He loved people that were like naked and afraid. I mean, he loved those people. He loved these that were, com- these that were going to ultimately get their way and kill him. He loved them. So that's first and foremost. That's, that's Jesus' life, loving God and loving others. But you know, he also, this is just amazing to me. What Jesus was doing in this contentious time, he was seeking to open the door of the kingdom for the contentious to walk through. Jesus never, he never lost sight of this human being who is holding on to their religious thing. I just so want them to let go of that. Rich, rich, you know, you can't go through the eye of the needle. It's not just wealth that keeps you back. Your religious junk can too. I just want them to let go of that so they can enter the kingdom. I'm bringing the kingdom. The kingdom of God's arriving. And I want everyone to enter that. He did not lose sight of that, even in these tense moments. That was a priority to Jesus for others to enter that kingdom through faith in the king. Jesus. And the last thing he did, he was able to cut through the self-deception of the religious. He just, he just, you know, he could recognize, hey, you're deluded. And I love you. And I, and I just, I just got I to gotta cut through this, this, this image that you've created of yourself and this theology that's coming out of it because it's leading you astray. Now, that's how, I, that's how I see Jesus living in this contentious time. And then from that, I, I want to encourage us. So that, then that kind of moves us into, oh, God, let your kingdom come now. And help us, like, how does this, this, this revelation, how does this story, how do we take this now and put it to work? You know, one of the things we've been trying to do over the past month It's just introduce our community to something that's been going on behind the stage, but we want to bring it to the forefront. And that is this fact that following Jesus, learning, living together, announcing the kingdom, that activity, all of that are the component parts. That's, That's how we engage in spiritual formation. That is how we are being transformed into the, into the likeness of Jesus for the sake of others. And so every week, those of us on the teaching team, we all just want to try to boil down like the main idea of what we're trying to communicate down to a a weekly invitation for us as a community to become more like Jesus. Now, Sunday morning 
is an introduction. And it's just an inter- that's it. It's just an introduction. But for you and I to actually kind of follow through on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and Thursday morning and Friday morning and Saturday morning and be reminded the next Sunday, it takes it takes it takes effort. It, it takes work. So that's called spiritual exercise. It just doesn't happen automatically. The Holy Spirit can inspire it, but we got to go with Him. And so that's what's going on. That's why we're, we're coming to this, this ministry moment, and that's why tomorrow morning there'll be an email that goes out with a reminder, just so you can use that and see if you can go a little bit deeper in wanting to root, go deeper in transformation. So this is what I would suggest, that in these contentious times, we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus by, number one, loving God first and foremost with the totality of our inner life. Everything we got from the inside out, learning to love God. And, like I've said, but I want to keep repeating, and in the same step, it's the same breath, it's the continuation, it's inseparable Loving other human beings. Second, longing. I mean longing for others to enter the kingdom of God. The arrival of the kingdom of God with the king on the planet is the beginning of the solution. Every every contentious problem that we're facing, the solution is the king and his kingdom. The king and his kingdom. That's the solution. And as much as we, I mean, we, get, we can get involved in all kinds of stuff. But bottom line is, if people are not coming to know the king and they're not entering his kingdom and beginning to live as if the kingdom has come, there is not going to be an end to the junk that goes on. So that's got to be a longing for others to enter the kingdom of God. And then just the encourage, that we encourage each other to, to hang in there with this rule of God. Not, re, not rebel. We're, I mean, we're all rebellious. It takes time for that rebellion to end. Then lastly, to soberly recognize our ability to deceive ourselves in, mat- in matters of identity and theology. The Sadducees, the Sadducees were just human beings. And were no different than us. In the times in which they lived, they just bought into a deception. And I believe that we have to soberly recognize that, that we have the same ability. When I pray the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, the nuance that I pray is, Lead us as far away from temptation as possible because we are gullible. We are easily deceived. We'll take the bait every time the temptation comes too close. That's who I believe I am. I believe that's who we are. So if we're not soberly recognizing deceptions that are just dropping in front of us, we we can easily deceive ourselves. And what we, what we think we are and how we're supposed to live and what our theology is. 
So this, this is when, I mean, I just get, I say, oh, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. They, these are my prayers for us. Holy Spirit, awaken the totality of our inner life. Our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Holy Spirit, Show us where we're asleep. Holy Spirit, come. Teach us to love God from all that we are. And in the same step, to love fellow human beings. Show us our neighbors. Show us how to love others as they need to be loved. Holy Spirit, increase our longing for others to enter the kingdom of God. Show us who is near to entering that kingdom. And finally, Holy Spirit, expose our self-deception in our identity, in our theology, show us where we are mistaken in our judgments. I wonder if we could just take five minutes before we leave and in groups of maybe three or four just just say, you know, the, the, of those prayers, I, I, really, I really need the Holy Spirit to help me hear. It's really good for us to be able to say to somebody else, this is, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I need help. So can we do that in five minutes? And then, um, again, the, these will show up tomorrow in an email and can you take them and just keep keep working it keep working it baby until I mean I mean in some ways there's a lifetime of exercise right here but we got to start somewhere all right uh, Holy Spirit thank you that you want us to not just read this book not just know this history but your desire is to transform us into the likeness of Jesus for the sake of the people around us. So come, Holy Spirit. Help us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So just circle up groups of four. Pick one of those. Say, you know, you could pray for me this week with this. Go. Go.